You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, author of Working Like Dogs, and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And Whistle and I are thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we have a guest who I'm really excited to talk with, and her name is Joan S. Naira, and she is the founder and president of the Psychiatric Service Dog Society. And Joan also has her own service dog, Kenji. So come right back after these quick words from our sponsors and join us as we visit with Joan. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Pet Life Radio. I'm Marcy Davis and my service dog Whistle, and we're your hosts of Working Like Dogs. And today we'd like to welcome Joan S. Naira to our show and her service dog Kenji. Hello, Joan, and welcome. Hi, thank you for having us. Well, I'm so thrilled that you can be here because psychiatric service dogs is something that I have really wanted to learn more about. And let's just jump right in. Tell me, what is a psychiatric service dog? Well, it's a service dog that's individually trained to do work or perform tasks to assist a person who lives with a mental health disability. 
cool. So what kind of tasks do they perform, Joan? Well, it depends on a person's diagnosis. Um, Some dogs alert to certain conditions in advance, such as episodes of hypomania or uh, building panic attacks that are are brewing. Um, Other dogs uh, help with uh, physical support when the handler has side effects of medications that make them dizzy. Um, Other dogs uh, give cues, and and that falls more under the rubric of work, give uh, give physiologic cues to their owner, uh, who then uses that information to make decisions about how to manage an episode. That is so awesome. And I know that, you know, when you see somebody like me who's a wheelchair user, it's easy for people to understand. Well, I say it's easy. A lot of people, when they see me with my service dog, they automatically think I'm blind. If I have on my sunglasses, forget it. They think I'm blind. Even though I'm a wheelchair user, it doesn't dawn on them that I'm using a dog to help me with my mobility limitations. And I know I hear so much about people when they see someone that has a psychiatric service dog, they automatically think it's a pet. So, but, but it's not a pet at all. It's performing some very, very critical tasks for their individual that they're assisting. So how do you and your group, how do you deal with those issues, Joan? Well, you're right. A lot of times people with psychiatric disabilities appear to be non-disabled And so people in the public do sometimes come up to us and say, oh, isn't it going to be hard when you have to give the dog away? Because they assume we're a puppy raiser and and that we're training the dog for someone else, Um, which is a little humorous. But, uh, no, we, we often are faced with this type of thing. And sometimes people, when you tell them, no, the dog works for me, they want to know right away, well, what does the dog do for you and, and what is your disability, which can be a little awkward if you don't really know the person and, uh, you, you know, you may not want to reveal that you live with mental illness. So it, it certainly makes for an interesting life. Yeah, and I think, you know, that is, that's such a great point that you made that people think that you know, you are a puppy raiser. I even have people ask me if I'm a puppy raiser or if my dog is in training and I'm like, hello, my dog has graduated. And, and because of my dog, I'm out here in public being able to talk to you because he's giving me that independence. So I can only imagine that it must be similar for you and for other people who have psychiatric service dogs. Yeah, and and I think another challenge of living with a mental health disability is it's kind of an abstract concept. I mean, unless you've experienced mental illness yourself, it's really hard to understand what that must be like. Um, And for the person who experiences it, it's very hard to describe, but it, it can be extremely frightening, it can be disorienting, uh, it can be incredibly frustrating. Um, so it, that's one of the challenges we face is, is explaining to others the nature of our disabilities. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited that you're here with us today to really dispel some of those myths because people have these ideas and these stereotypical images or thoughts that just are not anywhere near what reality is. So I'm just so thrilled that we're talking about this today. Great. Well, and I think it's important, too, with all the veterans that are coming home, lots of them are living with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder now, and there's a real stigma. There has been a stigma in the military about mental illness. So I think we're at a very important time for our society and our culture 
to really face issues of mental illness and how prevalent they are among human beings and how we can become a more compassion, compassionate and tolerant society. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of types of disabilities, of psychiatric disabilities that dogs can assist with. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Joan? Is if someone has a mental illness and they're thinking about getting a dog, can you give them some guidance in thinking about that? Sure. Well, in order to have a service animal of any, any kind, you need to have a disability that is recognized under the law. So, I mean, if you just have a little anxiety here or there, or maybe you just had a, a blue day, that's not what we call mental illness. That, that's part of the normal vicissitudes of life. But mental illness is, is usually quite severe. Um, for example, if you have major depressive disorder, you have to be um, pretty non-functional for a fairly long period of time before it gets classified as, you know, a legal disability. So that's something uh, we want to clarify right off the bat. And one of the things that's a little confusing, I think, in the debate is talking about dogs as providing emotional support. Um, a lot of people assume that what psychiatric service dogs do is provide emotional support. And really, I'm not sure what emotional support is, but whatever it is, um, it's different for people who have mental illness versus those who don't. So whatever emotional support is, you really can't compare the emotional support that someone without mental illness experiences from a pet versus any, you know, putative emotional support that a mentally ill person gets from their service dog. Right, right. I know, because that's something that I definitely get emotional support from my service dog, but that's not what he's trained to do for me. So can you talk a little bit about some of the commands and how it works for someone and how they interact with their dog? Sure. I like to use hallucination discernment as a really good example of doing work. And the distinction between doing work and performing tasks is a very important one for psychiatric service dogs because, you know, the way service dogs have typically been used has been you teach them commands and then you give them the dog the command, and then the dog executes the command. That's a very um, top-down kind of uh, order, if you will. The, the human in that picture is always directing the dog. But what's different with psychiatric service dogs is that mental illness by its nature can impair our ability to function in that executive role. And so we can't always command our dogs telling them what we need them to do. And when that's the case, a dog that's been with you 24-7, that's been trained properly to function in public spaces, a dog like that can rise to the occasion and give you what you need without your even asking for it. And some people say, well, that's not training. It is training, actually, because it's predicated on having learned your baseline. So people aren't mentally ill all the time. They, they are episodically mentally ill. And when they're not mentally ill, the dog is, is studying them and learning what their normal patterns are so that when a person becomes mentally ill, goes into an episode, the dog can register that change. So, yes, there are some commands that you can give a dog, like, for example, some veterans are telling their dogs to watch my back, and that's a, a positioning, a physical positioning of the dog and teaching the dog to, uh, to let the veteran know if someone is walking up behind him. So that's a very kind of um, top-down 
command-driven interaction, whereas if someone has hallucinations and they're hearing something or seeing something and they're not really sure if it's there or not, which is a very frightening thing, really, um, they look to see how their dog is interpreting their environment. And if there are people there, then the, dog, the dog's body language is going to register their presence. And so you can use that information to discern whether you're hallucinating or not. And that's a really big paradigm shift with psychiatric service dogs, that you use them in this cognitive way that isn't necessarily command-driven. That is so cool, and I'm so glad that you're making that distinction because that is a very different because my service dog does not make any decisions. As you were describing, he accepts commands and performs those commands, and I've always wondered how the psychiatric service dogs interacted with their partner, and I know I was talking with a trainer that trains seizure dogs, and I was asking her, how do you do that? And she said that they don't train the dogs to detect a seizure. They look to see and they test the dogs to see if they have the ability to identify when a seizure is going to happen. Is that similar to how it is for psychiatric service dogs? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I'm going to use two examples that I think have very different mechanisms, okay? So people who have bipolar disorder, which also used to be called manic depressive illness, um, will sometimes be going into an upswing. And upswings are not always pleasant. Sometimes they are purely euphoric and, and you feel like you're walking on air and you're on the top of the world. But other times they're very irritable and agitated uh, kind of hypomania. And some dogs, when they are with their person 24-7, are able to sense that their person is going into one of these upswings. And they sense it before the individual themselves have any clue that they're, they're shifting, going into an episode. And we suspect, and we have no proof for this, but it's just a hunch that that might be an olfactory cue, that there's something in our physiology that's changing that's causing perhaps our sweat glands to secrete a different kind of chemical signature that certain dogs recognize. Now, in contrast to that, People that have panic attacks, for example, sometimes their dog, when that dog's with them 24-7, will sense when the person is starting to escalate towards a panic attack. And again, the dog notices this before the person does. Um, and with that information, getting that very early warning, a person can make choices about how to try to subvert the panic attack, which makes a huge difference in a person's willingness to leave their home, for example, because one of the great fears of people with panic disorder is that they're going to have a panic attack in public and it's going to be very humiliating. Uh, so the dogs that alert to panic attacks, um, we suspect that that's a behavioral cue. The dog is picking up on the change of the breathing patterns in its person and the tensing up of that person's body. Um, so these are two ways that dogs can alert to psychiatric conditions. But, uh, you know, initially the alert is offered by the dog, but we believe it's trained by the continued positive reinforcement of that behavior. 
Wow. Well, this is so fascinating, and we are going to take just a quick break, but we're going to come back, and I want to continue this conversation, Joan, and I have a certain question I want to ask you when we come back. So please, let's, we'll have just a few minutes from our sponsors, but please come right back and join us as we continue this fascinating conversation with Joan S. Naira. So come right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Give your dog some thought. With Dog Thoughts, it's the iPhone application that everyone's talking about. Hey, what do you think of this? A man in Davis, California says he's invented an application for the iPhone that claims it can read your dog's mind. Huh? No, it's true. Now, I read about it on my cat's Twitter page. That's fine. Jay Leno talked about it, CBS reported on it, and now you can see what all the buzz is about. Created just for dog lovers, Dog Thoughts makes taking photos of your furry best friend more fun. Shake your dog and read his mind. On your iPhone, of course. Take a pic of your pup, shake your phone, and watch as his thoughts appear on the screen. Does he have a bone to pick with you, or is he having a tail-wagging day? Get your Dog Thoughts iPhone app today. Just 99 cents. Go to PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. That's PetLifeRadioPromotions.com. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. The dress code? Come as you are. Pajamas, a tux, you can even go naked like your pets. Unleash your party animal at my animal party. Guests you know from Animal Planet, TV, radio, the news, and bookstores will be joining me. And that's because after I won Best Pet Radio in America from the DWAA, I got my paw in the door and I met a lot of amazing people. And the best of the best are going to be coming to the party. They're coming to party with us. So join us at the animal party. Don't miss the party. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. 
We're talking today with Joan S. Naira from the Psychiatric Service Dog Society, and we're having a fascinating conversation about psychiatric service dogs. And Joan, I have to ask you, you were talking about really identifying what a psychiatric service dog does. And the next question I have for you is, how does the person interact with their dog? If the dog is starting to sense something's going on and there's about to be a mental episode, how do they interact with the person? Good question. Wow. Well, first of all, there's a ramp up. There's a learning curve that has to happen, okay? So when a team, meaning a person and their service dog, is very new, they're still learning how to interact with each other, and the dog is still learning to read its person's baseline, and the person is learning to read their dog as their dog is reading them. So it's a real adjustment period, I'd say, that first year that the team is together. But over time, uh, you get to a point where you can really interpret your dog's signals and cues. And it's almost like a groove that you get into with the dog. And it doesn't have to be a verbal interaction. It can be nonverbal. And when the cues are given and when they're learned and understood, um, it gives the handler choices. For example, um, if a handler knows that he or she is escalating towards some kind of an episode, Uh, because of the cues their dog is giving them, then they have an opportunity to make cognitive behavioral decisions, such as um, I always get panic attacks when I'm in crowds. I'm in a crowd right now. It looks like I'm on my way to have a panic attack. What, What are my choices? Well, I could get out of this situation I'm in right now. I could tell my dog we're going to go in a different direction to get away from the crowd. Um, I could pull off to the side and sit down with my dog and engage in uh, breathing exercises with my dog, and that's going to lower my arousal state, you know, to reduce that amount of adrenaline that's flowing through my body to get myself into a calmer state. You know, I could also choose to uh, take certain medications that I keep with me at all times, Um, especially when, you know, the breathing exercises and the changing of my environment are not quite doing it for me. So really this nonverbal interaction between the handler and their dog affords that person more choices than they would have had if they had just stumbled into the episode without even realizing it. Okay. Well, that is so cool. So tell me, how does someone get a psychiatric service dog? What kind of agencies are out there? There really aren't very many organizations that uh, train psychiatric service dogs, and this turns out to be uh, a blessing in disguise, actually. Um, Many years ago, we thought, oh, how unfortunate that we don't have more service dog training organizations that train psychiatric service dogs. But now that we have a, a better understanding of how these dogs are working, it turns out that training your own psychiatric service dog is really the, the best way to go because that process where the dog is studying you for, you know, say over the course of a year, learning your baseline and then being able to signal you when, when your baseline changes, that process cannot be trained by anyone other than you and your dog together. So, you know, at best, a program could probably train basic obedience, public access skills, and perhaps a small repertoire of physical tasks that the dog can perform. But there's this missing piece called work. 
And uh, so that's why we, we promote owner training because we think that, you know, it's not like we're training a guide dog. Guide dogs are like the, the Humvees or the Cadillacs of, of service dogs. Psychiatric service dogs are much more low-tech, and they are uh, amenable to owner training. And so that is what we recommend. And so how does someone train their own dog to be a psychiatric service dog? And do they get any kind of certification, or what do you recommend for that? Because there's so much obedience, there's so in that public access. So how do you work with people to prepare them for that? Well, we encourage people to hire a regular professional dog trainer in their area to work with them one-on-one, and the focus is not for the trainer to train the dog. The focus is the trainer is going to train the handler in how to train her dog. And that is really what the purpose of those instruction, those, you know, sessions are with the trainer, is to learn technique in how to communicate and train your dog. And so you can get that technique in 12 to 16 individual lessons provided that you're attentive and you're doing your homework between classes and that you're really taking it seriously. Um, What's missing from that picture is service dog expertise. And one of the things we do is we provide that to people through our online communities. So these are communities with people who are all training their own psychiatric service dog or who have already done so. And we, we offer peer support and networking. So if you have a question that is very specific to service dogs, you can ask the online community and we'll be happy to answer questions or give you tips. If, for example, you wanted to teach your dog how to remind you to take medication at a certain time of day, um, a lot of veterans are in need of this particular task, uh, as many veterans have traumatic brain injury as well, and they forget the second or third dose of their medications on any given day. So our online communities can teach you how to train your dog to remind you to take medicine at certain times of day. So it's kind of a piecemeal approach. Um, It's definitely a lean model. Um, We've tried to scale it down so that it can be a model that's accessible to as many people as possible, regardless of their financial situation. Uh, But, you know, there really is no way of getting around the fact that dogs do cost some amount of money. So that's just something we have to live with. Yeah, because that is such a different model, you're right, from the more traditional service dogs such as guide dogs or service dogs like Whistle. And But I think that's so wonderful because sometimes cost is so prohibitive that people, they can't travel to a training facility for a few weeks to get a service dog or they can't afford to purchase some agencies that require you to purchase the dog that's thousands of dollars. So that's so awesome that you really recommend having your own dog that could come from a variety of places. Have you seen some breeds that are better as psychiatric service dogs than others? I get asked that question frequently. Um, Breed choice is fairly wide open. Um, Some people are surprised to learn that you could use a Chihuahua as a psychiatric service dog or a Yorkie. So size of dog doesn't matter. Um, You want to use a low to medium energy breed of dog. You want to stay away from the high energy breeds just because they don't adapt well to the slower paced lifestyle of, of a psychiatric service dog. So you could use anything from a Chihuahua to a Great Dane. 
Wow, that's wonderful. Well, tell us more about the Psychiatric Service Dog Society. Sure. Um, We have a four-part mission. We educate the public about psychiatric service dogs. We advocate for people who utilize psychiatric service dogs, especially when they have access issues. Uh, That could be in the employment uh, location or in in, uh, uh, no pets housing or simply if someone is trying to go to a store and they were kicked out. You know, we work with people to try to um, help them uh, reach the kind of conclusion that they want to, to reach, you know, in terms of justice. Uh, We also conduct research on the psychiatric service dog therapeutic model, and this has been a very long-time, long-standing interest of ours, and it's a slow-going process, Um, but we do currently have a research grant from the U.S. Army to test the psychiatric service dog model with some soldiers who have post-traumatic stress disorder who are receiving treatment at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And finally, we facilitate training, which means we don't get involved in the training ourselves, but we bring people together who are all owner training a psychiatric service dog. And there's something to be said for peer support and peer pressure. Um, once a year, we get together in person somewhere in the country, and we have an event for a few days. This last July, we got together in California, and we camped for three days on the vineyard. And we had 50 people and 38 dogs from all over the country, and the dogs were so well-behaved. And these are all owner-trained dogs. So, you know, yeah, I'm sure that the the fact that some people are owner-training means there might be some less-than-perfectly-behaved service dogs out there, but you certainly can't say that owner-training always produces poorly-trained dogs because we, we see uh, the evidence uh, that, that you know, contradicts that at our annual gatherings when people come and they show up with their dogs and the dogs are very well behaved. Yeah, I, I just think that's wonderful because, you know, there is a little bit of stigma attached with working dogs when people think they're owner trained. They think that it's really a pet that people are trying to pass off as a working dog. So I just love to hear you talk about it and how well it's working within the target population that you're working with. I mean, that's just, that's such a different concept. That's, it's cheaper and it's, and it's really targeted because I know the time that we have our dogs is just so short. So every moment that you can be with that dog is so critical. So you don't have to have your dog be away from you for two years or whatever the training period is while it's being trained. It's being with you all the time and you're learning and growing together. Yeah, and I think that having community is really important because um, it has taken me years to be able to articulate how psych dogs are assisting people with mental health disabilities because talking about the brain is an indirect experience. It's the brain talking about itself. And it's challenging no matter who you are. And so, you know, we appreciate your interest in what we're doing because um, even though our model is really different than the traditional service dog model, we appreciate the respect that you're showing our community by listening and just hearing us out. And uh, we appreciate it when people say, I'm glad this works for you and that they're able to accept it at that level. 
Absolutely. I think it's just an amazing... I know how much my service dog has changed my life, and I can only imagine how much your dog and these other dogs are changing the people that have mental illness because I can only imagine how debilitating that can be. And to be given that tool, it's so life-changing. I mean, it just really opens up a whole other world for people with disabilities, with all different types of disabilities. Yeah, and I think, too, what's scary about mental illness is that a lot of people walk around thinking that they know who they are, they know what they stand for, they know what their character is, and and we sometimes get lulled into thinking that these are fixed traits. And in reality, and this is the biologist in me talking, in reality, uh, it's all chemistry. And some of us are well-regulated to stay within those normal bounds of consciousness, and some of us are dysregulated through genetics, through experience, and our brain sometimes spills over into other areas of reality that aren't exactly comfortable for us or useful for us and can be very frightening. And so for people who don't know what it's like to lose that sense of self, to lose the, the knowledge of who you are, I just want to say that, you know, it's a very frightening journey. And so anything that people with mental illnesses can do to help themselves and to, uh, to be higher functioning, I think is something we should honor. Absolutely. And I can say as a woman with a physical disability, I mean, having my service dog makes me so much more independent and higher functioning. I think that it's just amazing. Not to mention that dogs, I think, are the most wonderful creatures on earth because they are so supportive and and just so wonderful. And I believe we just haven't begun to explore all the ways that dogs can help us with all types of abilities and disabilities. So I have one more question for you because I can't believe our time has gone so quickly. But I, I want to ask you, Joan, please tell our listeners how can they get in touch with you and the Psychiatric Service Dog Society if they want more information or if they want to join your community for support? Sure. Um, they can contact us through our website, which is www.psych.com dog and psych is spelled like psychology so it's p-s-y-c-h and then d-o-g dot o-r-g that's our website you can also call me directly on my phone which is 571-216-1589 or if you prefer to email me you can uh, find my email address on our homepage. Well, thank you so much for all of your candid conversation today. I really think that you've articulated it beautifully about, I know, I know a lot more about psychiatric service dogs after our visit today. And I hope you'll come back because I would love to hear about the research that you're going to be doing at Walter Reed. So would love for you to come back and tell us about how that goes and what you discover from that. I'd be delighted to. Thank you so much. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, our listeners, for being with us. And thank our producers and our sponsors for making Working Like Dogs possible. And I hope you'll check out Joan's website at Psychiatric Service Dog Society's website and get more information. And I hope you'll come back and join Whistle and I for another show. So thanks so much. Take good care. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.